After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for his disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail uh, for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of uh, Pyrrhus, uh, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tydachus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days came to them at Troas, uh, where we, we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, uh, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper rooms and where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting uh, at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But when Paul went down and bent over him and taking his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for this his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them for a while, a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were a little, not a little comforted. But going on ahead to the ship, we set sail to Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. So when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios, uh, Chios, The next day we went to Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had been decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent, from, uh, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church uh, to come to him. And when he had came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials and happened uh, that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would uh, bless your word here today as we have read it. And now we're going to uh, proclaim it and preach it. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts through the power uh, and the working of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that your word feeds your people. And we thank you most of all uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I titled this morning's sermon, Don't Fall Asleep. Uh, so put that out there for you. Don't, don't fall asleep. I, I had one occasion, and this is a true story. Uh, I've never had anyone die while I was preaching, thank goodness. I had one occasion where someone came very close to dying. They, they almost had a heart attack. Uh, I don't think it was my fault, um, but what happened was it had snowed that morning, and this is when we were up in the Poconos, and, and everybody who came to church that morning had basically had dug themselves out or plowed snow or, or whatever you needed to do to get out of your house. And we had a, uh, an older gentleman, a very nice uh, man, and he came and he was sitting uh, kind of off to, to my right on, on one of the side rows. And, and during the course of preaching the sermon, I noticed he started to seem like he was, he was dozing off. And I try not to let that bother me. You know, I, I, different people have different reasons for that, that happening. Most of the time it's, you know, you had to work the night before or like that morning. Everybody was tired from shoveling the snow. And, and then it wasn't just that his head was bobbing. Like his whole body started to lean forward. And he, he went forward one time and he almost hit the pew in front of him. And thankfully, one of our one of our nurses, we had a couple nurses in the congregation saw it and they come running over as he's passing out and they they lay him down on the floor. And of course, by this time, uh, I have to stop the sermon because everybody wonders what's going on. And is, is this guy OK? And and for about a minute, they couldn't find a pulse on him. And, and so we called the ambulance and we're all thinking like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Uh, thankfully, uh the Holy Spirit, I had the presence of mind to say, hey, let's stop and pray for this guy. Uh, and they were, they were just about ready to start CPR and, and chest compressions, and, and he started to wake up. Uh, we found out later he, he usually takes some, some medication uh, that, that makes him a little dreary. And on top of that, having the medication and then overexerting himself that morning shoveling snow, uh, his heart rate had just been really low. And uh, he felt embarrassed, and, and we felt glad that he was alive. Uh, and then I'm standing up there, and I go, okay, what do I do now? We had like 30 minutes left until church normally ends. And it was this awkward, I'm like, okay, well, back to the sermon. And uh, uh, my wife did not let me live that one down later, because she said by then everybody was distracted and you've lost them. I have never had a situation, though, like Paul has here, where someone uh, falls, out of, uh, falls asleep and falls out a window and dies. Uh, and if you die today, I do not have the gift of healing, so I cannot bring you back to life like Paul does. Um, the best you can hope for is CPR or some normal means of revival. But I want to I want to use this as as sort of a lens, and we want to move not only through that section, but the next section where Paul starts to speak to the Ephesian elders, and and I want to use not falling asleep as sort of a metaphor. Not falling asleep as a metaphor for saying, don't quit, stay the course, persevere. 
Now, that's not the main point of, of Eutychus falling asleep. I think it's just to tell us what was going on in, in Paul's ministry. But what I want you to see as he goes around to these places and with all the hardship that he faces, what does Paul do? He stays the course. He perseveres. And you and I in our Christian lives are going to go through hardships. Uh, we maybe will not go through the hardships that Paul has where we're dragged out into the street for preaching the gospel and beaten and there's riots in town. But every Christian will go through some kind of difficulty, some kind of hardship, and it may even stretch or test your faith. You may find yourself in a moment of despair, in a moment of discouragement, where the passing thought that runs through your head is, why do I keep believing in God? And then maybe if some of you, you immediately regret those thoughts. How could I think such things? But we have almost all of us have been there at some point, And we need to hear the sermon and the message today to stay the course. Persevere. God does not abandon his children, even and especially in the midst of hardship. So our main verse here this morning, it comes from verse 24. But I do not account my life. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, at the end of his ministry, writing to Timothy, a, a young man starting out in his ministry, actually who's, who's mentioned here in our passage uh, in Acts, we have him uh, say to Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time of departure has come. You think of how you pour out an offering on, in the Old Testament, these drink offerings. Paul's saying he's exhausted. He's saying he's given his all. He's, he's at the end of his life. He's done everything that he has, can to serve the Lord. And he's, he's ready to depart. The time of going home to be with God is near. And he says this in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Stay the course. Stay the course. Persevere. Fight the good fight. Keep the race, finish it, and keep the faith. Before we go on into our sermon, I just want to give you on the next slide kind of a little map of where we are. So a lot of names were thrown out in this passage. And, and rather than me defining where all the place names are and trying to describe it, I thought I would just show you a quick picture. This is Paul's uh, missionary journey. We left him uh, before my vacation. We left him in Ephesus there. He had come from Antioch across to Ephesus. Now he goes across and north to Macedonia. Then he goes down into Greece, all areas where he's planted churches. So he's visiting them, strengthening them, all of those things. He goes back north again. They go up to Philippi, which is at the very top. It kind of got cut off there. And then they cross over by boat to Troash. We saw Assos. And then he skips uh, Ephesus, which you can see where that is further south. And he goes to Miletus. And that's where he gives his uh, speech to the elders of Ephesus. They're able to to come uh, down there. So that's kind of where we are, just to give you in your mind's eye, uh, just kind of as we go through and name all these place names. 
Our first point this morning, then, is stay true to the ministry and fellowship that God has given you. So stay the course and persevere. The first thing, stay true to those gifts and ministries that God has given you and the, the fellowship that God has given you with the saints, with the people of God. Notice in our passage that Paul does not stop preaching the gospel with urgency, even when he is faced with troubles. Look at 18, 19, and 20. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know that I lived among you uh, the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. So he's saying this to elders and we're going to break up over two weeks his message here to, to the elders. Um, but he's saying this to the elders and he's saying, you've seen how I've lived my life. You've seen how I've preached the gospel. I haven't given up the course, so to speak. And you can notice these things in the very passage that we're working through. So you go back to chapter uh, 20 verse 1. And this takes place right on the heels of the riot that was in Ephesus. So it says, after the uproar had ceased, uh, this is that riot that we talked about a few weeks uh, back. And Paul doesn't quit the ministry or walk away discouraged or say, well, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard go at it here and maybe God just hasn't called me to be an apostle or maybe I need to take a, a, a sabbatical. He says, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. So he gets right back up on the ministry horse, so to speak. And he says, I've got some churches in Macedonia that I've got to go around and I've got to strengthen. I've got to. These are churches I planted and I've been away for a while and I want to see and need to see how they're doing. I can only imagine what it was like for Paul planting a church. And he stays there for a period of time, maybe six months, maybe a year. In Ephesus, it was about three years. But he's got a, a narrow time frame to train elders, to teach them how to handle the word of God. They've, that most of them have just gotten saved. And then he trains them up, makes them elders, and he says, okay, I'm going on to plant the next church. And, and they couldn't just pick up the phone or, or dial into Skype and call Paul and say, hey, Paul, uh, we're having some trouble at the church. What do, what do I do about this? He really had to entrust them over to the Lord. And so you can understand uh, emotionally and physically why he would go back to these places and make sure they're doing OK and correct any problems and give further uh, discipleship. But you'll notice then uh, in, in verses two and three, it says when he had gone through those regions, so through Macedonia, which was to the north, he had given them much encouragement. It says he came to Greece. So he's encouraging them. He's saying, you guys are doing great. Hang in there. Keep ministering the gospel. Uh, perhaps the church had grown while he was away. I, I can imagine Paul coming to some of these churches, uh, maybe in Philippi or Berea or something. And and wow, there's there's 20 new people here. There's 50 new people here. There's wow. These guys weren't believers last time. And, and imagine, you know, the encouragement you can give. Wow. Look, guys, God is working in your midst, just like God has worked in, in our midst. Uh, through some of the hardships that we've been through, we probably have twice as many people here today as we had uh, when we started gathering again in 2014. 
It's great. God is at work. And he's saying this to the churches and they're seeing people get saved. And he's saying, amen, guys, be encouraged. And he's going around to the churches. And you can imagine just like when a spiritual mentor or a spiritual mother or father uh, comes to you and they say nice things and they praise not so much you, but what God is doing in you. You know how that makes you feel. And that's what Paul's doing. He's keeping on in the ministry. It says he also then goes to, to Troas. It says in verse uh, 6, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and five days we came to Troas, where we stayed seven days. And the first day of the week we were gathered together to break bread and talked with them, intending to depart uh, on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. The point here is that Paul does not give up the urgency of bringing the gospel and he doesn't bring up, uh, give up on the urgency of, of getting around to other churches. He doesn't say, well, I've planted a bunch of churches. I can, I can slow down here a little bit. I can go back to Syria and, and I'll let people come to me or I'll, I'll stay in one place for a while. It would be much easier on him, I'm sure, physically and, and to provide for himself and all of those things. No dangers when he's out on the, the seas, on the ships or on the highways. But he doesn't give up and he doesn't let hardship discourage him. A few years ago, I was going through some hardship in my own life. Uh, and God used uh, the Psalms to encourage me and some other things. But I took on my vacation. I decided I wasn't going to read any theology. Um, and, and that's not a slight on theology. You know I love to read. It was just I need to change the pace. So I took some fiction and I took a biography. I took a biography of, of Ulysses S. Grant, the Civil War general and the president. And, and that biography was just such a joy to read. Uh, because Ulysses S. Grant went through a lot of hardships in the Civil War, and he didn't give up. And, and one of the stories is when he was fighting in Tennessee at the Battle of Shiloh, uh, the first day of the battle, the Union troops, they just got plowed through. They, they held the line, but, but barely. I mean, they got pummeled. It was a bad day. It was a day that, that no one would have shamed them if they withdrew from the battlefield, if they decided to retreat. In fact, several of Grant's generals uh, discussed it and they were uh, planning on, on recommending to Grant uh, that they would retreat. And one of the generals, uh, General Sherman, who I'm, I'm, you may have heard the name before, he eventually goes on to go down into Georgia. It says uh, that he approached Grant that evening and you have to kind of set the scene. It had started raining that night. Uh, and then by this time, when, when Sherman goes to approach him, uh, it's pouring down rain. And, and Sherman is standing under a tree. He's got his, his hat covering down his face and his collar up to protect him from the rain. And he's puffing on a cigar. And Sherman is going to go to him and say, you know, Grant, we really ought to withdraw from the battlefield. And he goes up to talk to Grant. He changes his mind and decides not to bring it up. And so he says to Grant, and this is a quote uh, from somebody's memoirs or something. He says, well, Grant, we've had a devil's own day haven't we? Meaning, you know, we've lost really, really bad. And Grant says, yes, yes, we'll lick them tomorrow, though. And they turned around the next day and they, instead of withdrawing, they attacked. And they rolled back the Confederate army farther than the Union army had been rolled back the first day. 
because they didn't give up. In fact, they did precisely what was not expected of them. The Confederates uh, were expecting them to, to, to withdraw from the battlefield. Their lines were a little uneven. If you know how military tactics work, they were a little spread out and some of those things. But the point is, it was this tenacity, this I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to hit the battlefield hard the next day that brought the victory. How true is that often of our Christian life, that we go through a hardship, that we go through a difficult phase of of ministering to someone? Maybe we're, there's there's a, a family member or a friend that we're that we're trying to share the gospel with, and every time we try to have a discussion with them, they mock us, or they they push back really hard, or or we just feel like we're making no progress, and we are so tempted to say. Maybe I'm not an evangelist. Maybe I should stop sharing the gospel with people. That's precisely the time where we need this sort of uh, grant-like fortitude. This, I'm not going to give up. Notice then, as we keep going through this passage in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10, uh, not only does Paul not give up, but his sermons go even longer, I guess we could say. Look at verse 8. And there were many lamps in the upper rooms. Sorry, the end of verse 7, it says, He prolonged his speech till midnight. There were many lamps in the upper rooms where they were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting uh, at the window, sank into a deep sleep. And Paul still talked longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down the third story and was taken up dead. Uh, I imagine this young man, uh, we get the sense that he was young, perhaps even a, a young boy, maybe 10 to 15 years old or, or something like that. I'm, I'm just offering a guess there. But I, I can imagine that it was a little bit embarrassing for him. Oh, you fell asleep during Paul's sermon. You know, I don't, I don't know what his parents would have said. You know, how many times have we warned you not to sit on the windowsill? Uh, something, something like that. But what I want you to see is how Paul continues over and over again to serve the Lord with a humble disposition. Look at verses 18 and 19. And when he had came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in ministry. I want you to notice three things about Paul's ministry, three things that we can learn. First, faithful ministry is among the people. Paul says, you yourselves know I lived among you the whole time. Paul didn't just come in from out of town, uh, rent the big hotel down the street, set up shop, preach this wonderful revival sermon or whatever it might have been, and, and then depart so that no one could talk to him, so that no one could see him, so that he maintained an air of, I'm the special speaker that has come to you. He gets to know him. They stay with him, not only past midnight, but all the way to the morning then to talk with him. To, he knows them. He knows what's going on in their lives. Maybe they ask him questions about the sermon. Maybe he asks them questions about how are you doing with those things that you're struggling with or with your family or your job or whatever it might be. He lives among them. Faithful ministry has to be with God's people. A faithful Christian has to be with God's people. You need to stay around your Christian family, the people that can support you, the people that can encourage you. If you watched any of the Olympics, you saw on some of the distance running, the runners don't just sprint out ahead. They don't just go alone. They stay together 
with the pack. And in fact, oftentimes, I think it was Ethiopia or one of the countries in the in the 10,000 meter race or, or whatever it was, that the two or three from the same nation, they stay together. And one of these races I was watching, they would alternate the lead so that each runner had a chance to be out in front to sort of be the one who breaks uh, a little bit of the airflow around them that pushes out in front. And the other one can relax a little bit with the aerodynamics. They do the, the same thing in biking. There's strength from being with people and living your life with fellow Christians. You have to plug in at a church. If you're going to minister in the church, you have to be around the people first. You have to get to know them. You have to share your life with them. How often in our day and age do we have, we have sort of the, the super ministers, the super pastors, the people that throw the big conferences? And look, some of these conferences are great and it's good to go to and, and it's good to learn from their seminars, but let's not put them up on a pedestal too much. I've heard stories of, of famous pastors that have big ministries, you know, and they will, they will get emails or phone calls into their ministry or if they're on the radio, get, get some sort of communication and, and the people will call them. And it's good to get biblical advice from people that know the word of God. But that's not your local pastor. He doesn't know you. Ministry has to happen in the presence of people. Faithful ministry has humility tears and trials look at what he says serving the lord with all humility with tears and with trials this is normal acts chapter 14 paul says when he preached the gospel uh, to that city and made many disciples they returned to lystra and iconium and to antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of god Through many, this is his encouragement. Through many tribulations, you'll enter the kingdom of God. One of the things when I was going through just a rough time, one time I was reading, as I mentioned earlier, the Psalms. And the Psalms are wonderful. The Psalms are encouraging. But you know at times what encouraged me? It encouraged me that David was about to get killed. He was surrounded by his enemies. And I could look at that and I could say, well... At least I don't have anyone trying to kill me. And as strange as that sound, that encouraged me. But it's encouraging to know that as a believer, you're not the only one who has struggled. You're not the only one who has gone through hardships. You are not the only one who has been put to the test to stress your faith. The Lord Jesus himself was tempted so that he could uh, pass through perfectly resisting But Jesus was perfect and he still faced temptations. He still had to cry out to God in Gethsemane through tears and and wailing. And scripture says he was heard because of his godliness. If Jesus Christ in his humanity has to trust God through his hour of trial, how much more do you and I should we expect going through difficult times so that God can stretch us, so that God can teach us to trust him god doesn't walk us through these things because he wants to abandon us god doesn't walk these us through these things because he delights in seeing us in pain he teaches us like a gentle faithful shepherd to trust in him we can say i will that god says i will never leave you or forsake you 
And we can sit here and we can say, yeah, yeah, we know that. And then we go through a hardship. And we walk through it and coming out the other side, we say, yeah, God really never leaves us or forsakes us. Stay the course in your Christian life. Hold fast to the ministry and the calling that God has given you. Then notice that faithful ministry regularly proclaims and teaches. uh, And Paul says he was teaching in public from house to house. He says, therefore, verse 31, be alert, remembering for three years, I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. We regularly need to gather together to hear the word of God, to hear the word, to fellowship with the saints, to show hospitality, to share our lives so that we can encourage one another. Stay the course by staying in God's word and by staying with God's people. Second this morning, stay true and hold fast to the gospel. You need to hold fast to the gospel if you are going to stay the course. Whether you are a minister or some kind of Sunday school teacher or some kind of communicator, or whether you are just the person that faithfully comes every Sunday, you and I have the responsibility to stay fast upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul's regular preaching and teaching concerns the gospel. Look at verse 21. He was teaching, it said in in verse 20, how he did not shrink from declaring the word of God to everyone uh, from house to house. It says in verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how a person receives the forgiveness of sins. This is the work of Jesus accomplished on the cross, that he has paid the penalty for our sins and that we turn to God by repenting of our sins, acknowledging that they are wrong, feeling sorrowful for them and coming to God and asking him in the Lord Jesus Christ, please forgive me. And then in that, 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 in that turning, we are not only turning from our sins, but we are turning to Jesus and we are believing in him. We're not just acknowledging that he exists. We're not just checking a box. Yes, okay, I've heard and, and I think it's true that he died on a cro- the cross. We are entrusting ourselves to him. We are looking to him in an act of faith saying, I believe that Jesus' death has paid the penalty for sin. And I am trusting him. I am asking him to save me and I am totally trusting that he will do it. I remember when I was a young boy, my dad taught children's church and he decided to illustrate to all of us kids what trust looked like. Have you ever done one of those trust falls where people stand behind you and you cross your arms and you fall back and and they're supposed to catch you? Have you ever dropped somebody on one of those trust falls? I think that happened once or twice when I was a camp counselor, not on purpose. So my dad calls me up and he has me stand on this bench and, and he, he wants me to do the trust fall. And, and you know how when you, when you do the trust fall, you have to, you have to let go of trusting yourself. You have to let go of, of standing there and saying, I've got this. And you literally just fall back and are saying, I believe the person behind me will catch me. 
I mean, that is what trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is like. You are saying, I believe that his death and resurrection will save me. And I, and I let go. I can't save myself. I've got sin. I'm a mess. And we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I panicked when I was doing that trust fall with my dad. And I froze. And I couldn't get myself. I was standing on the piano bench. And, and I could not get myself just to, to fall back. And then, of course, my friends started to snicker and, and chuckle a little bit. And my dad's trying to illustrate this point and stretching it out. I think he tried three or four times to get me to, to do this trust fall. And, and I guess I didn't trust my dad that day. Um, my dad was wonderful, and I, and I trusted him. But it illustrates what trust in the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. It's not just mental assent. It's not just saying, yes, I believe these things are true, although it is that. It's saying, I believe that what he did covers my sin. And I'm asking him to work that in my life. I want to receive the gift. You are entrusting yourself to him in an act of faith. We see this throughout the Gospels. We see this in the book of Acts. The Philippian jailer says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And then Paul says in verse 31 of Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Uh, After Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2, it says that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They They were sorrowful of their sins. And then they say to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what preaching the gospel looks like, and this is what receiving the gospel looks like. There is repentance and faith that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Notice that Paul's ministry is to proclaim the gospel. Look at verse 24 of our chapter. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course of the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. What is this ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What is the church here for today? Why are we here? Why am I here as the pastor? Are are we a good social club? Are we a good activities group? Uh, We played some volleyball on on, uh, Friday night, but we're not professional volleyball players. The mission of the church is not to make volleyball players. It was fun. We had a good time. We got to know each other. Why are we here? We are here to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We are here to proclaim the word of God. Why did you call me as your pastor? You did not call me as your pastor because I'm good at fixing lights. You did not call me as your pastor because I know plumbing. When the power hit, when the electric, uh, when the uh, lightning struck the church about a month ago, I, I figured out how to reset the Internet, but that was about it. You called me here to minister the word of God. What are we doing as a church? We are here to come back week after week, day after day, to share the word of God to dig into it and to say that the good news is that God saves us only by his grace. 
We have nothing to offer God but our sinfulness. And God has paid for that sin on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and offers forgiveness of sins to everybody who will believe in him. And then he teaches us and instructs us and and builds us up in this gospel, in this word. This background of the gospel comes from Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 40, part of the proclamation is to say, Behold your God and proclaim our God reigns. We come to worship and say, This is who God is. The great Savior. The Mighty One. We are here then to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Look at verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of the word of God. Paul will later instruct Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort, to exert patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, into myths, excuse me. We are here to get into the word of God. To get into the whole counsel of it. To, to see how it centers on the gospel and the, and the glory of God. But, but as it comes to the whole counsel of the word of God, we don't want to leave sections of scripture untouched. Stones unturned where we haven't looked and said, what does God's word have for us here today? We live in a day and age where, where people and, and preachers and pastors Choose what they're going to preach on based on on what's going on in the world around them. What they know people will like. What sort of hot topic will will catch someone's ear. Most of the good preachers will make sure to incorporate Scripture. I shouldn't say that because if you don't incorporate Scripture, you're not a good preacher. (laughs) Most of the time, there's nothing wrong with saying, here's something that's happened, a tragedy. Let's open the word of God and minister to the needs of our people. But what you can't let do is you can't let the world set the agenda. You can't look out and say, what, what do people want to hear today? What, what will really tickle your ears? What, what will make you the most happy today? We start by saying, what does the word of God have to say to us? And, and sometimes it encourages us. Many times it encourages us. Other times it, it, it tweaks us a little bit, you know, like it pinches us and says, you know, you got it. You're not doing this in, in your life or you you need to repent here a little more. Or you need to turn to God in this way. Or maybe it tells us, you know what, I, I really haven't stayed the course as I should have. And it encourages us and it puts us on that right path. Sometimes it really, through the Holy Spirit, just lays into us and exposes sin. And all we can do is come before God and say, God, oh, forgive me again. And sometimes it's all in the same sermon. 
Not because I'm a good preacher, but because that's how the word of God works. And sometimes I've had this happen where where one person hears the exact same words and it encourages them in the sermon because that's how the Holy Spirit used the words. And someone else, the Holy Spirit used the words to expose something. And so they walked out thinking, wow, I need to I need to repent of something or get right with the Lord on something or do something different because that's how God works. And God uses the faithfulness of walking through the passages of Scripture to minister to each and everyone's need. I could poll everyone in the sermon, in the service today for next week and say, what do you really need to hear? And I could not craft a sermon nearly as great as the Word of God, just walking through it and saying, God will minister to your heart because God meets you where you are. That's the goodness of God. That's why we stay faithful, not only in your personal life, but in the life of this church and our ministry. Let me give you some just some brief pointers at the end. What does faithfulness look like? Let me break it up into kind of two categories. What does faithfulness in the church look like? What does faithfulness in my life look like? Faithfulness in the church is first proclamation of the gospel. If you heard the word of God today, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if you've never received him. A faithful church will preach the gospel regularly. A faithful church will have people that take the gospel to places outside of our church. Friends, family, co-workers. Faithfulness in the church looks like proclamation of the gospel. Faithfulness in the church, second, will continually emphasize the grace of God. Even as Christians, we need a regular constant reminder that we are sinners saved by grace how do we walk in our daily christian lives by the grace of god how do i treat other people in my christian life how do i treat other christians in the church with grace why because god has shown me grace remember the parable of the the king who forgives his servant this huge debt And then the servant goes out and has a a fellow servant that owes him minuscule amount of money, maybe only a couple dollars. And and he is unable to forgive that servant, even though he'd experienced grace. We're the ones that have been forgiven this great debt. So we minister the grace of God in our preaching because we've experienced it. We treat others with grace because we've experienced it. And, And God multiplies those experiences. And churches become healthy and churches grow. Third, faithfulness in the church looks like proclamation of the whole counsel of God. Can I just be honest for a second? I hope that I'm here at church for a very long time. We like it here. But one of my goals, one of my dreams, is that we as a church, and particularly myself, we would preach and proclaim the whole counsel of God. Get ready for the sermon series on Obadiah. (laughs) The whole counsel of God. And the reason we preach and proclaim it is that's how God raises up the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 and 14 uh, says that gifts are given to the church and that their ministry goes on, quote, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed Uh, Be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Why do we need doctrinal sermons that go into the word of God? Because you don't want to walk out of here and be like a boat on the ocean, a little dinghy that's just getting knocked all over the place because you don't know what God says. You don't know what God has done. You don't experience God in your daily life. We need to be fed and build up. Faithfulness in the church looks like that. What does faithfulness in your life look like? Well, let me give two things. One, like Paul, hold fast to the gospel in every area of your life. The gospel isn't, as a Christian, something you just believe and then you go on to deeper and better things. The gospel is the good news that God saved us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that grounds every aspect of our Christian life. That's the fuel that we run off of. Faithfulness in your life means holding fast to the gospel. When you go through a discouragement, do you remind yourself that Jesus Christ died for you? If Jesus Christ died for you while you were dead in your sins, don't you think that you're precious to him even in the hardship that you're going through? I mean, if God could take us while we are, are separated from him, by nature children of wrath, far from God, enemies rebelling, and he could come and send his son and redeem us out of that. When I stumble in sin as a Christian, already now a child of God, don't you think he's going to have the same kind of mercy? If he could save you out of that mess and mire, when you sin now, don't you think he'll minister forgiveness? When you're at the end of your rope, when you're crying out in hardship, when you have lost a job or wondering where the next thing is going to come from to, to pay the bill or to, to meet some sort of health need or whatever, God cares for you. If he's saved you in the gospel and made you his child, how much more will he take care of you? Stand firm on the gospel. Then stand fast on the whole counsel of God. There are some Christians that will call themselves red-letter Christians today. It means they open up the Gospels and they focus only on, on the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus are great. But guess what? This whole thing is the words of Jesus. If you want a red-letter edition of the Bible, print the whole thing in red. Because it's God's Word. So don't pick and choose favorites. I want to encourage you, if you've been doing it, if you haven't, uh, read through your Bible in a year. I'll confess I got behind this summer. So this fall, just plug back in and carry on. But stand fast in the Word of God in your daily life. Stand fast. Stay true by counting your life and your ministry as nothing. The main verse here today, but I, count, but I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray today that you would speak to us through your word, that you would build us up, that you would encourage us. Lord, help us in, in light of the gospel, in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to count ourselves as nothings, as nobodies, as mere humble servants, not of any importance, precious to you, but not someone that needs to go around showing off or think we're all that. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to stand firm 
Maybe there are some here in their daily lives they need to be renewed again and stand firm and persevere in some particular struggle or area. Maybe even, Lord, just as a church, remind us of the importance and the joy of standing firm together with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. Build that up in our lives and in the life of our church. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close.